Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Welcome back to Hook Em Up with Ian Rod B. Once again, Ian Rod are out today. They're hard workers. They deserve a day off, in my opinion. Me, Brock, we're here grinding. We're here grinding. It's a fabulous fifth hour, the final hour of our five-hour show. We've got a lot more on deck. We've had, I mean, we've had a lot going on today. This has been one of the more eventful shows that I've had in a long time. Uh, we opened up the show with, uh, you know, talking a little Texas recruiting. You know, National Signing Day was yesterday. Uh, in the second segment, we had a little Dallas Cowboys discussion or argument, I would say, with Jacob Standard, who is the, uh, he's still bullish on the Cowboys. Uh, in the 8 o'clock hour, we had Johnny Rogers, America's house guest. Former Westlake Chaparral, uh, amongst many of other talents that he has. Uh, he came in for the entire hour. Casey started. You might have heard him. Um, and and bots. So we had the whole crew from the Big Ugly Tailgate back in the studio. 9 a.m. We had Justin Simmons, Craig Flowers. You just heard him with the morning story. And we tried to have a blitz, but you people let us down. Shame on y'all. Shame, shame, shame. Uh, in this hour, we're about to talk to Dylan Weber, who I mentioned uh, writes, covers the University of Georgia, and is in in tune with the SEC for for the most part. What's your buddy's name again? I keep on forgetting. We're having Canyon Sheeran. That's a hard name, Canyon. I'm just going to call Canyon. him Canyon. Uh, and you just heard Shotgun Willie, our unofficial anthem of the fabulous fifth hour. But without further ado, let's take it to the Vaqueros hotline. Dylan Weber, what's up, dude? What's up, y'all? Glad to be on. Hell yeah! You uh, you're yeah, actually you're 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 in out of Atlanta these days writing for what's your what's do you still have a byline? What, what's the publication again? Yeah, I I, I bounce around uh, whoever wants me, but mostly DogPost.com, occasionally the Atlantic Journal Constitution, and sometimes USA Today. Well, yeah, I mean, so you're back in Austin. A little background, Barack. Me and Dylan went to high school together, so this is okay. the uh, the third or fourth, including myself, uh, Westlake Chaparral, that's been on the been on the show today. We. Uh, I've I've told the story before about uh, the <laughs> the rec basketball the coaches getting kicked out of the game. He, he was one of them. Uh, okay. The the year long band or maybe was it lifetime or just a year? Um, some of us received lifetime. Some of us did not. I think I was a one year. Um, I, I don't want to name drop him, but another fellow received a lifetime band. So he <laughs> moves back to the Westlake area. Uh, he will be banned from Westlake Youth Basketball Association. Yeah, uh, those were some fun times we both played and coached. I guess we coached against each other, but uh, yeah, not. But nonetheless, let's and let's you know this is going to happen. We haven't had this conversation yet, on or off air. But the college football uh, playoff selection committee left Georgia out of the playoffs after they lost Alabama in the SEC championship. You can beat them in the national championship. It doesn't seem like y'all can beat them in the SEC championship, though. Well, even in the national championship, we're we're one and one now, so not even at a winning record there yet. Um, I don't know. Uh, people people will put Kirby and Nick on the same kind of platform, um, but I think very clearly over now Kirby's head coaching tenure that he's just one step below. He can match him in recruiting, but he can't meet him there in in-game management. So would, would you say that Georgia has a better roster in Alabama right now, or it's just purely what comes out of the, co- the, the coaching message? I, I think they have a more talented roster than Alabama right now, yeah. Do you think Carson Beck is better than Jalen Melrose? That one's so tough because, I mean, if you're just asking pure quarterbacking ability, I would say so. But 
Jalen Milrow is such a difficult quarterback to play against. Um, I thought George's game plan going into it, I thought that's what would have worked. They just let him throw the ball. They gave him time to do that. They really tried to limit his running ability, and it just, just didn't work for him. I mean, even you look at the stats from that game, they don't look great for Jalen Milrow, but he made the throws when he needed to. Let's see, he was 13 of 23 for 192 yards through the air. And That's it- not – it, Super exciting. Sorry to interrupt you. His, like, we saw it at the end of the game, his ability to use his legs, and he essentially closed out that game rushing the football himself. For sure, yeah. I mean, that's the, the most difficult part of it is he ad-libs plays so well. Yeah, and I think, you know, to, to jump around a little bit here, if Texas does end up playing Alabama in the national championship, I expect Alabama to have far more designed runs for him. I think in the first matchup there was only – Two or three, Some, something like that. Quarterback yeah. design runs, way, way less than what it should have been. And obviously, his ability to extend plays and and scramble on you know just regular dropbacks, it, it that that's key to his game as well. But I, I I think I don't think Nick Saban took advantage of that. That was his biggest strength at that point in the season. He's still not the best passer, but he's progressed to the point where at the end of the year we were talking about it earlier, he was he had like plus, you know, like 6,000 Heisman odds with like two weeks ago. Yeah, somebody voted for him for the Heisman. He had a Heisman vote. That's, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, but, yeah, just to, to finish up the Georgia conversation, Dylan, y'all, you know, National Signing Day was yesterday. Um, how are you feeling about y'all's recruiting class? Were y'all number, number one in the nation? Yeah, number one right now, even after losing Dylan Raiola. Um, I just – so defensively heavy. They're top six recruits, all, all defensive players. Um, they lose uh, Fran Brown to their defensive backs coach who goes to Syracuse to be their head coach. They still get two five-star uh, defensive backs, one of them K.J. Bolden. They flipped on signing day. Um, again, that's, that's where I'm saying, you know, Kirby might not be the best game manager in the country, but damn, is he – one of, if not the best recruiter in the nation. Yeah, and y'all, y'all flipped a safety from Miami, right? I don't know, was that one of those five-star guys you mentioned? Yeah, K.J. Bolt. He, we flipped him from uh, Florida State. Oh, Florida State. Um, and he said yesterday, it just goes to show how crazy this world we live in is, said, you know, on record that he took less money to go to Georgia because of for, for NFL development. I think Auburn was offering him – uh, double what Georgia was going to give him. It's crazy. He still opted to go to Georgia. It's crazy how times have changed in a matter of just a few years. Um, you mentioned it when at the, at the beginning of this, of this uh, conversation, Dylan Rayola, uh, five-star quarterback, number one in the nation, flipping to Nebraska, and Matt Rule. Did that just come down? I know there's a family connection there. Uh, his dad played there. I think his uncle is a uh, a coach on their staff, yeah, and he recently like got a raise. Uh, did, is that all it came down to, or did I? Yeah. Or did something so, happen at Georgia? So, what's the story with Dylan Rayola, and why can Georgia not recruit Buford High School? <laughs> well, the crazy thing, and there's been a bunch of jokes because KJ Bolton, the safety, was from Buford, and when they flipped him, everyone was like, "Oh, maybe he just didn't like Dylan Rayola," and that was his uh, flipping point. But. Um, you know, I think it's a, a multitude of things. I think Carson Beck announcing him coming back um, probably was not, uh, you know, super exciting for Dylan Rella, a guy who wants to play immediately, not like the Archmanes of the world who are okay taking that redshirt year. Um, and, two, I, I do think 
part of it is the allure of, of being the savior of a program. Because, you know, he, he wrote this kind of odd poem uh, announcing his flipping of the commitment, um, talking about how he didn't want to be another cog in the machine. And frankly, that's what he would have been at Georgia. Um, just another player, not someone who's going to really take the starlight. He's just going to, you know, help them operate. But at Nebraska, he can be that guy who saves this program that's been in ruins. Do you think, I mean, you mentioned Kirby Smart not being able to, you know, I, I, obviously he's a defensive coach, but just that staff in general, I, I feel like they haven't really had the uh, the Tua's or even the Mac Jones, uh, you know, that's the, the really good quarterbacks at Alabama they've been putting out. And then that wasn't always their MO. Before that, it was running backs and it was the power run game and defense. Now it's defense and it seems like uh, an electric offense with dynamic weapons on the outside every year. Georgia has those weapons. Uh, we, we we know firsthand here with A.D. Mitchell, who I said earlier in the show I think is better than Xavier Worthy. I'm, he's part of the reason why I think Quinn Ewers has has extended or you know just gotten better this year, having another mm-hmm. an option besides him, just Jay Witt and, and Xavier. But do you think that's part of the reason why Rayola, you know, flipped? I mean, Justin Fields was probably the last like really big, you know, pro- high profile recruit to sign there, and he also left after a year. For sure. Um... Yeah, I, I think it just comes down to how they, they want to run the offense. Kirby is pretty stubborn on how he likes to do it, and you know for good reason. They've had success doing it. But it's not really a glamorous offense to play in as a quarterback. Um, you know, you're not slinging it. And I think Alabama had this issue uh, kind of in the earlier te- 2010s um, where it was just a heavy run. Um, you're not going to put up big numbers. You're really not going to be competing for Heismans no matter how good you are. Um, because you are just another part in that machine. And I think that turns a lot of quarterbacks off, especially this day and age. Um, it's going to be hard to be a, a first-round pick quarterback um, at Georgia if you aren't just out of this world good. And, you know, Carson Beck's kind of inching towards there, but even if he had gone pro after this year, you know, he's not going to be close to the first round, um, maybe after next year. But it's just not it's not super lucrative when you look at other schools like you know, USC, and then, you know, this past season's not a good example, but anything under Lincoln Riley or Ohio State. Or Steve Oklahoma Sarkeesian at this point. Yeah. Or, I mean, if he can, if, he, if he's had success with obviously quarterbacks at different stops, especially Alabama, but it seems like the quarterback room, you, you, you grew up in Austin your whole life. I mean, you weren't necessarily a Texas fan, but you, um, you paid attention to the program. You know the struggles we've had at quarterback. It seems like that room has really taken a, a turn for the better. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, y'all have two legit quarterbacks in that room, too. Three, three, and like three until team. last week, I'd say, with Malik Murphy. Yeah, of course, of course. Hey, uh, Dylan, so you mentioned it a minute ago, that, that poem that Dylan Raiola posted. Do you also believe that was AI-generated? Like he just typed it <laughs> into ChatGBT? Have you read it, Ty? I have not. It is. I have never read anything in my life that I'm more sure is AI-generated than that poem. Do you mind pulling it up and reading it to me? Yeah, let me see if I can find it. Um, but then before we get to that, because I'm going to love this. Thank you, Brock. Um, how did you feel about Georgia missing out on the playoffs? Did you feel like y'all were deserving? Obviously, number one team until the last week, uh, until that loss to Alabama. Alabama squeaks in at four over Florida State. Y'all at six. Uh, y'all taking on Florida State. What is it in the Orange Bowl? Yeah, Orange Bowl. Um, I can see the, 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 the sadness in your voice as soon as I brought it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, it's easier to say this on Austin radio than it is anywhere um, in the Atlanta area. But, I mean, they 
they didn't deserve to make it. You know, they they had one game they had to win. I think everyone kind of knew it that if they didn't win, it was going to be really hard to fit them in. Um, and you know, again, I, I I said I think they're more talented than Alabama. I think their roster is better, but that doesn't mean they should be in. Um, and they had this issue in 2018. People were like, "Well, they're they're one of the four best teams." I'm like, "Yeah, they had a quality loss. That's cool, but did that get you in? No, and it shouldn't." Yeah, I mean, after y'all lost Alabama and with Texas beating Alabama, I, I, it was very hard for me. The days of the complete SEC bias are, are over, officially, I, I think. Or at least, in I mean, the 14 playoffs over after this year, obviously. But it was a finally having, you know, it felt like they actually picked the four best teams, in my opinion. I, we can argue about Florida yeah. State all we want, but in in the laws that the, that committee has written, there is a statement in there that says if a – key player or coach is missing that will come into play when they make their selection you mean the law that they changed halfway through the year that law i don't think they did i think that's been in there forever i think you're reading I think they really just started highlighting it i mean did, did anyone want to what did y'all watch that louisville florida state game did anyone really want to see florida state get I, throttled I by they somebody? should have gotten in no yes they, they then, weren't one of the four best teams but they were one of the four most deserving teams that's not what it's about because they changed it. I'm, That's I'm, what I'm saying. No. No. They haven't changed. So why didn't UCF make it when they went undefeated? They, they, they went undefeated. They deserved to make it. They should have. But you're saying they changed okay. it. That was This was like six years ago. I mean. All right. Well, they weren't, right, a, they weren't a Power 5 conference champion. That's the difference. But anyways. Okay. Well, I know. I, 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 I feel bad for them. But I don't think they – I still don't think they should be in. I, I do have that poem, by the way. Okay. Let's All read right. it. Listen to this. Tell me it's not AI generated. You ready? In the realm of college dreams where purpose takes flight, entered Dylan Rayola, crafting his narrative in the night. Once lured by Georgia, where powerhouse glory gleamed, yet Nebraska's purpose in his heart brightly beamed. In the scarlet and cream where legacies entwine, Dylan, like Rogers, Rosier, and Crouch, a hero in the line. No longer a cog in some powerhouse machine, but a quarterback with an even grander ambition unseen. So fellow fans await with hope in the air for Dylan to choose his purpose to declare. In a weekend's decision, destiny calls to fulfill his purpose where a new destiny enthralls. That is the most chat GBT mm, written thing I've ever read in my entire life. I don't know, I and thought... this is somebody that uses chat GBT on I, well, you would know I, better than me. I've, I was about I've, to say I'm not about to incriminate myself. I've I've barely used. I'm sure you, I'm sure you use it to study and make yes. good good charts and yes and stuff exactly for, for yeah yeah. No, I, I mean, what do you think, Dylan? If it's Chad GPT generated or not, yeah. uh, I don't know, but I don't think Dylan Raiola is a natural poet. I'm guessing he had some help maybe from his, his English teacher on this one. Did you ever have any run-ins with him? Your with your time covering the dogs. Um. I mean, he was he was at almost all the home games this year, um, so you'd see him there. I, I never talked to him personally. I went to one of his games at Buford. It was really good. Had a terrible offensive line, um, so it made it a lot harder for him. But you know, he he always seemed fine enough. Okay, cool. Hey, well, enough enough Georgia talk. We are in Austin, so what? I guess we're about to talk about another team that has nothing to do with Austin, Texas. Um, but the, you're a New York Giants fan, and obviously, y'all haven't had the best year. Uh, coming off a you know a, a surprising playoff victory over the Vikings last year, Brian Dable, coach of the year. Uh, this year got off to a rough start uh, against the Cowboys. What is it, forty to zero? Daniel Jones goes down uh, with that ACL tear. 
insert Tyra Taylor first, who also went down. And then you insert Tommy Cutlets, Tommy DeVito. How, what are your thoughts on him? And it, it, it seems like a sensation uh, around the nation. For sure. I, you know, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I do respect Dak. And I hope that Cowboys fans can at least have fun and respect what's going on in New York, that Tommy DeVito is an incredibly fun storyline. No, it's like Linsanity Light. No, it's like, you know, it, it's like having that right. It's for me, I'll, I'll give you this analogy. It's like how, as a Texas fan, um, like A&M thinks they're like on, on the same level with you sometimes. So like the Giants, they're like cute to me. You know, it's like I know we're never going to lose to them because I, I, think, I don't think Dak Russell, he's lost like one game ever to the Giants in his entire yeah. career. Something uh, like that. Yeah, it's insane. He owns, he owns the NFC East in general, but he especially owns the Giants. Um, so, you know, it, when we were younger and we had the whole – I remember – Back in the day, we were sitting on his couch at like 3 a.m., and I think we argued till about the sunrise about Odell Beckham and uh, and Des Bryant on who was a better receiver. Because back in those days, the Giants, Eli Manning slinging that thing, and yeah. you know Tony Romo doing his thing, throwing picks at the end of games. Tony Romo wasn't nearly as good against the Giants. Let's just say that. No, not even close. No. But the Giants were better then, too. He was going up against tougher teams. I mean, you've won two Super Bowls in your lifetime. I realize you picked up the Giants. I mean, what is what what was your reasoning for, for liking them? Just because I was probably a Cowboys fan? You wanted to root against me? Yeah, just because I hated the Cowboys. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, hey, Dylan, we got to take a break here soon, but I appreciate you coming on. I know you've come on a few times before with Ian Rodby. I'm, I'm sure they'd love to have you back soon. Of course. Happy to be here. Thanks, y'all. All right. Have a good one. All right, that was Dylan Weber. Uh, you can find some of his work at dogpost.com covering the Georgia Bulldogs. They will not be in the college football playoffs this year. They will be playing Florida State, and I bet they beat them by 50 points. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I have nothing to say that. I Brock, I we found out the segment really likes Florida State. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back. We are going to play a interview from yesterday. Uh, give me a little, little break here. Use the restroom, and then we're going to close out the – 10 o'clock hour, final fifth hour, the fabulous fifth hour. Get it right. With Get it right. Keen, uh, Jesus. Uh, Canyon. Canyon. There you Canyon. Go. He's only told me 20 times this morning. I'm Ty Henderson <laughs> and Brock Bollinger. This is Hook Him Up with T and Brock B. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Welcome up. Welcome back. It's been a while. Been a while since I've hosted, guys. Sorry if I've messed up this morning, but uh, we're going to let Ian Rodby take over for a second. Just get a little normalcy here in the 10 o'clock hour. The fabulous... 10 o'clock hour, the final hour of our five-hour show. The guys talked to Mike Craven yesterday. We talked a little bit about National Signing Day, and uh, he was up at the high school state championships taking, uh, watching a lot of those athletes. Uh, the guys that signed, signed yesterday, uh, future prospects. So let's just let them uh, have that conversation. Here we go. 
Uh, you know else is an old soul? If I know somebody's an old soul, it's this guy that's on the Vaqueros hotline. He's got an old soul to him. He does. He is my man, uh, the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Indeed. Texas Football. He's also my partner and co-host on the Eyes on Texas multicast, which we recorded last night, Rod. Yes, sir. Part of the wait till signing. They normally come to that. We do it Monday and we put it out on Tuesday. Uh, it'll be coming out today. It's a full hour on uh, signing day, the Longhorns and all that entails that, the portal as well. But let's talk to Mike Craven, uh, senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Before he was there, he was at the Austin American Statesman and curated that Fab 55. So a guy who knows a thing or two about high school football and the recruiting ranks, uh, he joins us now. What's up, Mike? Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas, guys. How y'all doing? What's up, Mike? Merry Christmas, brother. Yeah, man. Hey, I know you uh, you needed a down day on Monday after five days of Texas high school football championship games. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scene unlike any other, as you, as you so, so eloquently wrote for Dave Campbell's Texas football. But you, you, needed, a, you needed a break after uh, – I mean, how many hours did you spend at Cowboy Stadium? I mean, at least 48. I mean, you're, you're there from about 8 – well, more than that, I guess. I get there around 9 a.m., leave around midnight, do that Wednesday, Thursday – or yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So a long time – you know, I always joke that you know, AT&T Stadium is like the best prison that's ever been created, you know, because you get in there for so long, you feel like you live there. You get to your hotel, you go to sleep, you wake back up, you're right back in the stadium. So it, it can get a little bit weird, uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's, it's probably one of the more Texan things that goes on in Texas. So uh, I advise everybody to get down there one time and at least do it once. Yeah, that is awesome. Like that that is awesome. Hey, uh, as we mentioned, you used to curate that Fab 55. I mean, it's not recruiting, not your beat any longer, but you know a lot about it. What did you make of uh, the Longhorn class yesterday of 22 high school players uh, capped off with Ty Anthony Smith out of Jasper, stealing him from the Aggies, plus two portal commitments in Makuba and Golden. What was your overall takeaway? Yeah, I just love the balance of the class, right? I mean, every single position group has at least one commitment. There's four or five stars. There's a couple of three-star guys that I feel really good about. Uh, and so to me, it, this stuff becomes the NFL draft for teams like Texas, for teams like Alabama, for teams like Ohio state. And if you look at the draft, the, the positions of need are quarterback, offensive tackle, wide receiver, edge rusher, and corner. Texas knocks all of those out of the park and they've had the last couple of cycles, but this one, five-star wide receiver, five-star edge rusher, five-star tackle, five-star safety, high four-star cornerback, um, you know, and so, to me, start hitting the notes all the all the right ways, and he's going about building this program in a way that's going to last. And Mike, I want to go back to you uh, covering the state title games, um, and just get your thoughts about how and why DFW and that Dallas area right now are starting to even separate from Houston, another area in in H Town that's you know a, a very fertile recruiting ground. But it used to be Dallas had maybe better football programs, but Houston had better talent. Um, but now DFW's got more talent, and they got the better football programs. And now you're seeing them matched up against the best representatives from the Houston area and beating them by 60. <laughs> what is going on, man? What are they putting in the water down there in DFW, up there in DFW? Because it, it, it seems like most of your – I think half your state champions – are DFW representatives. Um, they had seven of them played in, I think, the uh, state title uh, games. What's going on there? Is it coaching? Is it just talent overall? Are we talking about culture? Is it all of it? What is it? Uh, well, you know, that's, that's a pretty long answer that probably deserves an article in the offseason. But if you take away Port Neches Groves, you know, the southern part of the state, the, the if you split the state in half, the northern part of the state won every single state championship except for that Port Neches Grove. I would say the number one reason is resources. Uh, you know, you go down to Houston, and I'm there a lot. You don't see many indoors. You know, you, I think there's two. 
uh, three, maybe three indoors in Houston. You go to Dallas, almost every single district has at least one indoor. Um, and so when you have better weight rooms, when you have uh, better nutrition, when you have um, you know, indoors, when you have stadiums that are huge, that draws better coaches and then better coaches develop those players. And so I think what we're seeing is, is one part of the state, specifically DFW, is investing into their high school sports and what it can do for their schools and what it can do for their young athletes. And you're starting to see uh, the dividends of it where places like Houston, even Central Austin, where we are in San Antonio as well, just either by not having the amount of money or just not wanting to make that investment just hasn't done it. I think the other part of that is school splits. If you go to Houston, even even a lot of places here in Austin and San Antonio, a lot of the districts have, you know, five, six, seven, eight schools. You don't see Frisco making the state title a game, for example, right? You're seeing it from a lot of schools that are one, maybe even two school district schools. And so that's the other part of it, too. They're better at consolidating their talent, keeping it in the same place. Like, there's no reason Allen doesn't have four high schools, right? But it doesn't because it's trying to win at different things. And so uh, I think Westlake kind of following that model as well here in Austin. There's a couple that do it that way. But I, I would say the two biggest reasons are resources and then school splits. If Katie still had one or even two or three high schools, Katie'd still be winning that state championships every year. But now they got nine, and so that, that talent spreads out and they're not able to win as much. It's great yeah, answer. Yeah. Great stuff, stuff, Mike. Yeah, we had that awesome. debate uh, earlier in the week, and somebody mentioned, man, if Arlington didn't split up like they do, Arlington would be a powerhouse, but they have four or five schools now in Greater Arlington. You mentioned Frisco, same kind of thing. That's a, that's a, that's a local government thing, yeah, it right? Is. That's a yeah, local it is. government thing. Yeah, school choice. I mean, yeah. what, what, do you, what do the parents want? Do they yeah. want, you know, 4,000, 5,000 enrollees yeah. high schools, or do they want four or five different smaller high schools? Wow. That becomes the question. Good stuff with Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You and I talked about it last night uh, on the, the forthcoming Eyes on Texas multicast, but, you know, we can all talk about the five stars and Colin Simmons and, you know, Ryan Wingo and uh, Brandon Baker. These dudes are studs. But uh, you do like some of those three-star guys, and Stark has uh, done a great job of developing, he and his staff, the Tavondre Sweats and Jalen Fords and those guys who weren't heavyweight names on signing day but turned into leaders and great players. Who are the guys in this class that you really like that, that, that are maybe not as, as well thought of? Yeah, I think it's important to point out that, you know, this national championship or this playoff team that's about to play for Texas has more three-stars starting on it than five-stars. You know, they have three three-star guys on the offensive line. They got two on the defensive line. So you need these guys. It's like the NFL, as I was saying earlier. You want to hit on the first-round guys. You want to hit on the second-round guys. But the dudes you draft from rounds four to six are going to make up a bulk of your program, and that's true on the college side as well. I really like Jordan Johnson Rebel, the, the cornerback out of IMG. He's a Texas native coming back home, played high school football uh, here in the DFW area. So that that was a big uh, pickup for them. I like Parker Livingston. You know, he he, he didn't play as much uh, his senior year because he was injured, but he's a big play wide receiver um, that's going to be really good when he gets back healthy. And then a guy that we saw during the state championship game that I think impressed everybody was Alex January. You know, we've had him as a four-star player at Dave Campbell's the whole time. He's a three-star composite dude. When he gets to that Bo Davis school of becoming a badass, that dude's going to get good, right? Like when he fixes his body, when he gets into the weight room, when he focuses only on football, uh, his transformation is going to be big time. And he's going to be an interior player uh, that's going to be really, really good. If I'm Texas, I'm living on South Texas defensive linemen, right? Probably even more positions than that, but definitely uh, defensive line. Guys like Byron Murphy come out of there all the time. So I, I really like those guys. Nate Kibble's another one. I think they did really good on that second tier of prospects like Colin Simmons, Kobe Black, like those guys, 
my mom could turn on film and be like, yeah, that dude's really good at football. It's that next group that's going to separate you from those other teams because you're going to burn out at the top sometimes. Guys are going to transfer. They're going to go do other stuff. But if you can hit that second tier, keep those guys around and develop them, that's going to what make, that's what's going to make this program be a year-in, year-out contender. That's a good point. I, I, I like that. Uh, let me ask you about, because this, this uh, particular recruiting class seems like there's a – seems like it is a focus on defensive backs. Got a lot of DBs in this class. Been talking about them um, all day long. It's six if you include Andrew Makuba. So it's definitely a focus to rebuild the secondary uh, with this group. What are your thoughts about the young DBs they brought in? You got any favorites among these young DBs that they brought in? Yeah, I really love Kobe Black. I mean, I, I know a lot of people think he's going to be a safety, but I mean, he's really good cover core. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up kind of being like the boundary cover guy, or you know, maybe even a star down the road. And then Xavier Phillips to me was a huge flip. I mean, McKinney, you watch that McKinney defense, you want to sign all of them, right? I mean, they knew how to play defense. They were an incredible secondary, especially. Uh, he's really fast. He's really good in coverage, but he will knock you out. Like that is a physical physical dude in the box and so i think he's going to bring something to this texas texas secondary that maybe they've lacked they've had some guys who are physical and they've had some guys that are really fast they haven't had a lot of guys who are both of those things i I think with a year or two of development he can be one of those dudes that that can do it both ways uh xavier phil Sami out of mckinney hey mike mike craven senior writer dave campbell's texas football you also uh do a podcast uh at dave campbell's focusing on texas a&m and you cover the state so uh, mike elko uh you know longhorns got in there and got ty anthony smith from him at the end uh obviously trying to stabilize some things what's your read on what the aggies are doing right now uh coaching staff wise and and in the, in the talent acquisition realm yeah, it just kind of broke a, a couple minutes before y'all called me. Jay Bateman, uh, he was the inside linebacker linebacker coach at Florida, uh, was at North Carolina for a little bit with Matt Brown. He's going to be the defensive coordinator. And so they're starting to put together the staff, Colin Klein um, there as the offensive coordinator. It's hard, though. Like, it's harder than it's ever been to, to get that first class kind of signed away because you get the job in December, and all of a sudden the portal is open. Uh, you're still doing bowl practice and stuff. Now, all of a sudden, early signing day is there. They're going to have to figure out something with, with the calendar and how it goes. But I, I think for A&M right now, it's just holding on to as much as you can and then using the portal to supplement what you lose. And then you go into that 2025 class trying to sign a top five, top ten class. I went back and looked at Sark's whole roster. And I think there's only three or four guys from that first kind of that transition class that are playing real meaningful football. So a lot of times it's a wash everywhere. I think you're just trying to hold on to some dudes, try to get some talent in there. But really, this is going to be a portal-heavy class that uh, uh, is going to have to do it that way to, to win right away. Just, you, it, I always found it interesting. They, they hired Elko thinking, well, maybe he can keep a lot of this team together. But I just don't think in modern football there's a whole lot of loyalty, right? There, there was never much loyalty between the coaches. They were always leaving and going other places. And I think on the other side, they're starting to figure out that you know, this guy's not maybe loyal to the position coach that recruited him or to the school that they're at. You know, they're trying to do what's best for them. And, and I think you're seeing that with an Evan Stewart or Walter Nolan and a lot of those other guys that are transferring. You know, Mike, you obviously, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of these coaches uh, around the state of Texas and you're really familiar with the programs. Who in your mind had a surprisingly good signing day um, out of these uh, college football programs in the, in the state? Uh, people are going to hate me for saying this. I know you're not allowed to talk about Texas Tech on Austin Airways on Austin Airways anymore. Uh, but if you can go six and six in the regular season and then sign your first ever five star recruit from an hour from Baylor, 
um, and then also sign the best recruiting class in what is now the Big 12, right? Texas and Oklahoma are gone. So we're, we're looking at a new landscape in the Big 12. Tech signed the best class in the Big 12 by a pretty decent margin. Um, they're going to be good. They're going to be contenders. They have money out there. Um, McGuire is an energetic, you know, electric guy. Um, what they were able to do uh, was pretty impressive. And you look on the flip side, like Baylor's last in the Big 12 in recruiting. Texas Tech is first in the Big 12 in recruiting. You know, that Baylor job came down to Dave Aranda and Joey McGuire. I, I think I think his ability to recruit in the modern age, like that, that is what is most important. Like development is still important, but being able to get the dudes on campus is where this game is going towards. He's going to be able to do that. That staff is going to be able to do that. I thought it was a really good class. For uh, Texas Tech and Joey McGuire. And then they got a bowl win the other night, won the Independence Bowl. And uh, before we let you go, my props to your alma mater, UTSA, Mike uh, Jeff Trailer, first ever bowl win the other night. Yep. Uh, beating Marshall up there in the Frisco Bowl. That had to be pretty cool to see. And you told me you, you believe that's it for Frank Harris. He's done, right? We're not, no more Frank Harris for the Roadrunners? <laughs> yeah, no more Frank Harris for the Roadrunners. Seven surgeries on his left knee, three on his right, two on his shoulder. Uh, I think he's ready to go just answer the phone, be a sales guy, make some money for somebody else. <laughs> and never buy a beer in San Antonio ever again, I don't think. Uh, cool stuff. Hey, Mike, thanks, man. Great stuff. Uh, follow Mike and all of his stuff at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. He's on uh, Twitter or X at Craven Mike. Just go backwards, Craven Mike, uh, the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Year-round, man, they cover it better than anybody. It's uh, really, really good coverage, high school and college. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you guys. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Welcome back to Hook Him Up with T and Brock B. And yes, Brock, I have been saying that all day. Surprised you just noticed. I thought it was Ty and Brock B. No, T. T and Brock B the whole time? Just think of it. E and Rod B. No, I get it. I just, it went over my head. Not gonna lie. It's all right. That's all right. We're having a good day. Ice Cube bringing us in. So far, so good. Oh, no. Besides Casey dropping a couple (laughs) F-bombs earlier. Well, hopefully none of those slip through um, to the radio audience. Once again, if you want to hear the unfiltered, unedited version of the show every day, you can download the Horn app in the App Store. Just look up Horn FM, uh, and you should be able to find us, both in in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store for Android users. And do not report us to the FCC, please. That would... No, no. Who's even listening at this point? It's uh, 1044, and we're going to have Brock's buddy. Say it. Say it. I keep on wanting to say Keenan. It's um, Canyon. Canyon. Dude, he, I don't know if he can hear me. Can you hear me right now? I can hear you loud and clear. He has butchered your name. I'm sorry, brother. Dude, I'm sorry. I, we, we've had a lot of, we've had a lot today. of guests today, and, <laughs> and you're the only one that I, I don't know personally. But it's it's good to meet you. Yeah, I I appreciate you, know, I, you coming I, I on. Kane's a good dude. Life. Yeah, I live my whole life with my name getting butchered, man. It's okay, you know. I, I, it's what happens when your parents decide to name you Canyon, but then they they put a K on there. Oh, uh, it really just throws everything off. K A N Y E N Canyon. And almost, I don't know. I don't know how yeah. people d- yeah. butcher that though. I feel like that's pretty straight. Well, introduce Canyon. your guest, Brock. So this is Canyon Sheeran. Um. Current Auburn student, co-founder of the Elite College Football uh, page, and um, TND is what he's known as on Instagram. What's what's the uh, official TND account? I'm 
I can't remember the name of it. Uh, on Instagram, the official TND account is TND Takeover. TND Takeover, that's right. TND, and then just Takeover, yeah. Yeah, so I've been, me and Canyon have been uh, friends for, what, 2020, I think is when we first met? Yeah, it's been a while, man. It's been a I while. Elite, yeah. Elite college football was still was still kicking back in those days. Well, we, we just talked with uh, Dolan Weber from dogpost.com. A, uh, he writes for the Georgia Bulldogs, so it's a very heavy SEC final hour of our show. Uh, quickly, before we get into the because I know we want to talk about the Texas Longhorns, uh, quick, like, how are you feeling about Hugh Freeze and the Tigers? Uh, man, uh, obviously a tough, tough <laughs> end of the year, right, that Alabama, that 4th and 31 game, tough end of the year. But uh, when you look at recruiting momentum and what Hugh Freeze has done as a whole, uh, it's something to be grateful for. You know, when you have a, a roster, when you lose as much talent as Auburn did um, to the portal and to uh, – I'd like to compare – they're not really comparable, but in terms of retaining talent, Tom Herman and Brian Harson, in terms of recruiting and keeping guys in school, both lost a lot of those guys, uh, and, and they didn't graduate from the school they originally signed to, which was Texas and Auburn. Uh, so for Hugh Freeze to come in and, and have a competitive team that, that hung on with Georgia and – could have beat Alabama. Uh, I mean, a lot of positive signs. Obviously, stealing Cam Coleman from Texas A&M was huge, and I know Texas fans uh, were appreciative we could do that. Um, so, I mean, overall, a great class. Going to get the number one player from North Carolina and Williams, a, a ferocious defensive lineman that plays both ways in high school, um, was huge. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I like where the Auburn Tigers are heading. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can end the year on a nice Music City Bolt win and then uh, focus on 2024. Ty, I will tell you this because he he brought it up uh, that Alabama game that last play. Yeah, he sent me the funniest video of it was literally just because he thought they were gonna win, right? It was like fourth, third one, and so he was just videoing his face, you know, thinking he was about to storm the field. And so the whole time that that play was going, it was just his reaction, and so he starts <laughs> out like smiling. And then by the end of it, he's just like, like I mean, that was stare. that was possibly one of the worst <laughs> defensive just no, on one I mean, play I, performance I I've I seen in a long time. I mean, I don't know. I, the worst part about that video, it'll never see a lot of day. Um, just scrap that video from anywhere. Uh, it'll never get posted. I don't want social media to have the hands on that video because I, I don't think I'll ever live it down if it if it is posted. The worst part about that play is in the background is our massive jumbotron, so you can just see the whole play happening behind. Yes. My like head as I'm watching it on the field. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever experienced such sadness. And I grew up a Texas fan, so it was um, great I cinematography. With, and you know, I I had to deal with Charlie Strong for a few years. You know, so <laughs> I, I've experienced heartbreak. Um, so yeah, that that was rough. Um, I'm kind of mad at Brock for mentioning that video. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll never see the it'll never see the light of day for sure. So hey, before I ask you about. Uh, about Texas, Washington, a little bit of Texas recruiting. Can you talk about what Ole Miss is doing in the portal right now? Because, oh, my God. I mean, Lane Kiffin, yeah, I mean, Lane Kiffin does his thing. Um, if they are able to land Walter Nolan, I mean, that would be huge for them. Um, so we'll see how that finishes out for them. But Lane Kiffin has done a phenomenal job in the portal in terms of uh, getting talent where you need it. They've done a great job. Lane is the number one Juco safety. I mean, landed Princely from Ole Miss. I mean, what what he's doing is impressive, always has been. But uh, they've got a good championship window next year uh, with the playoff expanding. Uh, so, I mean, they're trying to – them and Missouri, I think, both have probably been two of the best teams in the portal. 
because um, they know that their window um, will might not be there for that long. And if they go all in on 24, I mean, they could see themselves sneaking into that 12-team playoff. Yeah, I was going to ask you, with, with everything Ole Miss is doing, do you think they have a chance to uh, compete with Alabama and Georgia for a for a conference championship? And Texas. Uh, and, oh, and Texas, yeah. They're, they're and Texas, yeah. Their problem has always been the trenches. Um, and, and right now, Ole Miss seems to be done messing around, especially if they can go get Walter Nolan. I think Walter Nolan would really help him take that full next step uh, because, obviously, he's a baller. Um, but, I mean, they definitely have the talent to compete. Uh, now, will they show up when it when it matters? You know, that's the question that is yet to be seen. Um, I mean, if you go off last year's game, we would say Ole Miss is pretty far from beating the likes of Georgia. But uh, a lot can change in a year. So, but we never know. 12-team playoff could just benefit them. They might not even need to play in the conference championship game to make it. So, so are you are you going to any Why of the, uh, the playoff games? Um, as a broke college student, I do not think I'll be attending. No. Um, but I wish I could. You know, I'm in the same boat. But you um, will be attending, though. Bro. I will, yeah, but I didn't buy the tickets. That's the difference. That's fair. So speaking of the playoff games, what do you think of the uh, the Texas Washington game? What's your prediction? Um, a prediction. Ooh, I, I I like I like Texas, but I also you know it, it's one of those games where. It's a lot more 50-50 than the Alabama-Michigan game, I think, um, just because Washington's pretty dynamic. Uh, we know that Dylan, uh, has their running back, has turned it on in the second half of the season, um, and that's been kind of like a key to Kalen's offense. Um, it, we, we just have got to stop their run because if we let their run get hot, their play action is really hard to stop, and you saw it against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. And we got to win in the trenches. If you want to beat Washington, the, the reason why everyone was clamoring that Oregon was going to beat Washington um, for weeks was that Oregon looked more physical and better in the trenches. And that Pac-12 championship kicked off, and Washington won the trenches, and they won the game. Um, so, so obviously, you've got to win up front on both sides of the ball. And, and you can't sit here and play that 10-yard that off cloud coverage or, or corners like to run like we ran against Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, I know we don't want to mention that game, but like, you're going to have to press those receivers, um, and, and we we can't let Jalen McMillan run a cross route and get wide open because with him with the hand with him having the hands in his ball. Oh wow, English, my bad, my apologies. Uh, when he gets the ball in his hands, he's explosive and elusive. Um, so we, I know we know about Adunze and, and we we know about Polk, but McMillan is like that silent weapon to that offense. Yeah, man, I'm not going to lie. This game scares the crap out of me. You know, I'd rather play Alabama or Michigan because we we just do not match up well with Washington whatsoever, and I'm I'm scared beyond belief. But It's just it's just uh, Washington is, is one of those teams. I mean, if they, if they play like they played against Arizona State against us, it's our lucky day, right? Um, and we could have a very fun four-quarter ball game for Texas fans, but – I, I think we do match up well with them in terms of explosiveness. Uh, the problem is just, per usual, going to be our secondary. Um, and we're really about to find out. You know, our, our trenches have been something that have, have carried us through Big 12 play. Um, a lot of talk on, you know, Pac-12 being soft. So if if we can dominate the trenches and the Pac-12 can uh, be up to what we're Pac-12 standards we're used to, then, then Texas is in good hands. All right, man. We got we got one more minute left. Uh, 
I'm going to put you on the spot here. Give me a score prediction for the game. What are you thinking? Oh, man. Um, a biased score prediction or an unbiased one? Give me both. I want to hear both. A biased score prediction would tell me Texas wins 34-28. Uh, I mean, that could be biased or unbiased. Uh, I think there, there's there is going to be some red zone defense being played uh, for Washington. Uh, but our red zone struggles looked a lot better against Oklahoma State, so we'll see. But I, I think Texas can win. I just don't know about how much. And I think Washington can also win, too. I, I'll, I'll give me give me 34-28. I like that one. Texas. All right. Let's go. 34-28 Texas. All right, man. Hey, let me know next time you're in San Antonio. Head up the Riverwalk. Hey, that sounds, sounds like a great time. Yes, sir. Well, hopefully I'll hit it up and watch Oklahoma lose. Uh, All right. Arizona. All right, we let's hope. do it. All right, appreciate you coming on, brother. All right, man. Yes, sir. Hey, thanks, man. Talk All soon. All right. There we go. Our final. Canyon Sheeran. Canyon Sheeran. Our TND fi- Takeover on Instagram. Go and follow him. I, I checked out his account yesterday. He's got some good stuff. Uh, obviously, has a lot of knowledge about the college football game, not just Texas or Auburn. He knew he knew a decent amount there. Great guest. Um, one of many great guests today. I'd like to thank uh, uh, Johnny Rogers, Casey Studdard, Craig Flowers, Jacob Standard, Dylan Weber. Um, get, it, get it, get it right. Canyon. They don't remember his last name. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm running on low today, but it's been a great show. Thank you, Brock, for coming in early. I know you you don't have to wake up early, and you came in to help out. I'm so happy I appreciate to help, it, man. Yeah, happy to well, help. you'll uh, be hearing from us again. Well, me, Rodby, and Aaron on next Thursday. That'll be our next show. Uh, we'll be previewing Texas and Washington, but. Uh, for now just hook them thanks y'all thanks everyone that listened today peace